Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. Uh, my name is Tim Harrison, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, the luckiest man alive. I've been in cafe. I just preached this message there. Uh, and I'm excited. I, I, at one point, I thought, you know, I could probably wrap this sermon up and get to hear the choir sing, take me to the king. Um, but uh, I, I don't wrap anything up, y'all know. Uh, so anyway, open your Bibles and, uh, and, and let's talk about what it means to, uh, to get older. Uh, take a look at this picture right here. This is a picture from a yearbook in 1955. You, you were all just children. Well, some of you were children. Uh, but yeah, take a look. Uh, what do you notice about it? 1955. Understand, this is a high school yearbook, which means all of these are kids 17 and 18 years old. What do you notice? Yeah, they all look like old people. They look like old people. What? I mean, yeah, they look like old people. Like, like that right there, like she could cook Thanksgiving for the whole, like she's grandma. She's somebody's grandma. She's a 17. I mean, I mean, y'all, y'all, I'm not making this up. Look, that is a woman. Like that is a, I mean, that woman right there. I mean, she's a, I mean, these are supposed to be kids. I mean, look, he could be the principal of the school. Explain it. They're kids. These are 17, 18 year old kids. Why in the world? Why in the world does that look like, you know, the Rotary Club? I mean, why does it look like old people? Give me some answers. World War II. World War II? What's that mean? Yeah. Yeah. You got to understand these kids had to grow up fast. Life was harder. Their parents had been through a lot. Uh, these kids had harder lives than we have. So that, that is absolutely true. They had to grow up faster and they didn't mind. They didn't mind growing up faster. Let, let's make that point as well. What else? There are certain just aesthetic things. Black and white pictures make you look older. So that's why nobody looks good in their mugshot. I, I mean, understand uh, black and white just makes uh, the shadows look deeper. It makes the wrinkles. I mean, black and white photography does it. Other people have noticed that, and you look at all of the yearbooks through all of the years, uh, our kids have gradually gotten heavier. Like you really don't see a lot of, you know, big round, you know, baby fat faces uh, in 1955 the way you do now. And, and what's the explanation for that? Taco Bell. Yeah, Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. It's Taco Bell, Papa John's. Uh, I mean, anybody that brings you pizza and a cup of butter, you know, Papa John's. What else? What makes them look older? Hairstyles. Yeah, men and women. I mean, I mean, honestly, y'all, just honestly, that's a grandma hairdo. That's a grandma. That is, I mean, all of these are grandma hairdos. And these guys, I mean, like that right there, that is an old man haircut. Why do they have old lady and old man's haircuts? First off, remember, these are kids. So in 1955, y'all, that was a fresh hairdo. That was a fresh hairdo. But the thing is, this lady right here, she wore that hairdo right into the 80s. And by the time, by the time we got to the 1980s, 1990s, it was only old women that had their hair done like this. And so we begin to associate these hairdos as old lady. But back in the day, this is what young people look like. 
that kind of funny? So we look at that thing, good night, you know. I mean, these guys aren't, I mean, they don't look like Justin Bieber, Johnny Depp, nothing. I mean, these guys look like Hugh Downs, you know. But those were styles of young people. But, but again, I say styles of young people, but young people styled themselves after whom? They styled themselves after old people, after their parents. If you've ever talked to your grandparents, they, they used to say something. They would talk about dressing for success. And dressing for success meant something like this. This is a high school yearbook. But understand, most high schools had dress codes. And so in the 1950s, these dresses, I mean, this is how girls dressed. If a guy wore a T-shirt like I'm wearing now, he, he was not considered, a, you know, he certainly wouldn't be your pastor. You understand? A, a T-shirt, that was a thug. That was a rebel. That, that was somebody who was not dressing for success. So indeed, they were becoming adults, and they were actually quite happy to dress the part. Because back in the 50s, all the way up until about the early 60s, our culture actually had a respect for maturity. And getting older wasn't something you were ashamed of. As a matter of fact, these young kids were actually ready to be adults and they wanted to dress the part. Do you see that? Do you understand how different our culture is now? Because now nobody wants to look like an old person, not even old people. Like, here's a 17-year-old girl dressed like a grandma, but now your grandma dresses like a 17-year-old girl. I know your grandma. She wears flip-flops and skinny jeans, right? Right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying our culture has shifted, shifted. So that now we don't really have a high esteem for maturity. Most of us want to be young. We want to look young. And we sort of focus on youth and youthfulness, which makes it kind of difficult to grow up. It makes it difficult to understand what maturity is when culture doesn't respect it. It's really hard to become an adult in a culture that continues to live out some version of a teenage dream. So the only real answer is to come back to Jesus and find out what his dream for your life is. To find out what it means to grow into the kind of maturity that God created us for. And for that, let's go to Luke chapter 2. This is a story that you all know, and, and it's just beautiful. It's rare because for the most part, we don't have a lot of stories about Jesus' life. Uh, and we got the Christmas story when he was born in a manger, and then he just shows up at age 30 to be baptized by John. But all of those years in between, we don't know a lot about. And so this episode here when Jesus is 12 years old kind of becomes important. I mean, first off, is Jesus a normal kid? How many say no, not a normal kid? How many say yes, he was a normal kid? Yeah, it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah, it's complicated. I would say yes, he's a normal kid, but, but understand also he is he's God. He is totally God. He is completely God in the flesh. So he is an ordinary kid because he's God in the flesh. He's as human as we are human. He's as human as we are, but at the same time, he's God. And so, yes, he's an ordinary kid, but no, he's not an ordinary kid. But yes, he is an ordinary kid. And he becomes an ordinary adult, but no, it's not an ordinary adult. He's Jesus. I mean, it's very complicated. 
And part of that just mind-blowing mystery is what it means for Jesus himself. I mean, he's born a baby, an infant. He has to learn to walk. He has to learn to talk. He has to develop the ability to think he's completely human. So at what point does he begin to know who he is? At what point does he himself fully understand who he is? It's, it's a mystery. This story here is the only place we have to look. But here you can see Jesus already begin to break into a very different kind of destiny. But in that, there's a lesson for us. Let's read. I'll quit preaching. Let's just read. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. Incidentally, this has happened to the DeVries family like more than once in this church. They, they, <laughs> they just leave their boys. It's, it's, it's just awesome. <laughs> After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, thanks, Mom and Dad. Three days later, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his, say it, answers. Yeah. So he had questions, but even among the scholars, he also had answers. Wow. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been worried sick, searching for you everywhere. At that point, she, Mary sounds like everybody's mama, doesn't she? Everybody's mom. But Jesus, verse 49, why did you even need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. So there are three categories of growing there that Jesus experiences. There are three. One of them is physical stature, of course, but the other two are wisdom and what else? Favor with God and people. Yeah, so wisdom, stature, favor with God and all the people. Uh, so they have created a new word these days, uh, if, if you old folks haven't heard about it. Um, they, actually, it's not a brand new word. They took an old word, which was a noun, and turned it into a verb. So now we have a new word in the English language, and the word is adulting. Like, you know the word adult. So now the word is adulting. And Merriam-Webster has taken it into the dictionary. Isn't that crazy? Adulting. Millennials came up with the word. It's usually got a hashtag in front of it. So it's like hashtag adulting. So anybody seen that? Seen it? Okay. So let's talk about it. Uh, under what circumstances would a young person, like on their Facebook or, or Twitter, uh, Instagram, they would like, usually they'll point out that they just did something. Then they'll go hashtag adulting. Like, what do you do when you say that's adulting? 
buying a car. You bought a car, hashtag adulting. You bought your own car. Did the money come out of your account? Hashtag adulting people right here. That's the thing. Because it doesn't really count when you pay bills if the money's not coming out of your account. That's not adulting. That's called hashtag leeching. That's something else. But if the money comes out of your account, if you pay bills or buy a car, that's awesome. Awesome. Then you're hashtag adulting. Yeah, that's an adult thing. What else? Wow, you pay your own mortgage? Wow, Kenneth, that's awesome. Yeah, and it comes out of your account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hashtag, you know, adulting. Yeah, yeah. Way to go. It feels good, though, doesn't it? Yeah. It's usually these mundane things that all adults do, but kids don't do. So when you feel yourself start doing them, you start kind of feeling adulty. Things like buying a vacuum cleaner. Remember buying your first vacuum cleaner? It's awesome until you find out what? Like you have to use it. Man, I will vacuum when they invent like a zero turn, you know, vacuum cleaner that, that you can ride, man. It's just business, you know, no way. But, but at first, man, it's exciting. I just bought a vacuum cleaner, hashtag adulting. Yeah. Buying groceries. Yeah. Don't you love when your college student buys groceries for the first time and they call home and say, Man, groceries are so expensive. Yeah. yeah. And that's when they, they start eating like the, like not the real Little Debbies, but like the, the Kroger brand Little Debbies. Yeah. Just oatmeal pie. Yeah. That's your money now. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't poverty taste good. Hashtag adulting. When millennials, college students, hashtag adult. Typically, they are, it's sort of a jokey thing. It's, it's, it's intended to sort of be ironic or funny. And honestly, it's a way of sort of acknowledging this transition, which is really difficult and awkward and, and, and wonderful at the same time. It's puzzling, though, because when you begin to adult, you probably thought that it would feel adultier. You know what? I, is that a word? You felt like it would feel adultier. And when you look around you, everybody else seems more adultier. You know, it's like everybody else seems to actually maybe be growing up, but inside you don't really feel it. That's why you're still, you know, like, hey, you know, got up before nine o'clock, hashtag adult, you know. <laughs> it's hard. Because one of the first lessons in adulting is understanding that adulting is just hard. And it's not that the tasks are hard, it turns out they're not. None of the mundane tasks of being an adult are, are difficult at all. It's the, it's the growing up part. It's the, it's the maturity that is difficult. That's where Jesus helps us. You see, in this particular story, notice all of the words that are used to describe the parents. It's kind of uh, funny, interesting, amazing, expected. Every year, verse 41, every year, Okay, so already, what are we establishing every year? This is part of adulting, y'all. Every year, every week, every day. You know, my son this weekend made the statement, something to the effect of, you know, when, I, when I'm past all this work, like that's what he said, when I'm past all this work, I'm thinking, kid, you're not going to be past all this work, but like this is your life now. Understand? It's, it's, it's every day. Every week, every month, every year. 
Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival. Say the words, as usual, as usual. Yeah, man. My wife and I, uh, we, are, we are in the biggest rut, and we love it. Like, as usual, you know. Like, forget hashtag adulting. I'm like hashtag as usual. <laughs> I just... You know, uh, you know I've, I've reached that age where I get up at the very, I, you know, I've become that person I never wanted to be. I wake up at 5.30, like 5.30, like old people used to tell me they've been up since 5.30. And I think, oh, <laughs> oh, like, why, why are you, what are you doing? You know, I wake up at 5.30 and like, I want the same thing for breakfast every day, like the same breakfast. Uh, it's adulting, y'all. It's, it's nothing exciting about it. And that's the thing. You reach a point as an adult where it's like, I don't want any excitement, you know. And, and if it's excitement after, you know, 10 o'clock, you know, count me out, you know, as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed. They assumed what? They assumed as usual. That's what adults do. Assumed as usual. Mary and Joseph are adults. We know that Joseph has a real job because adults have a real job. And Joseph is a carpenter, which means if he is not home in the shop adulting, the family doesn't eat. So while he is up here in Jerusalem, and I'm sure that the annual trip to Jerusalem was exciting. It was probably sort of like a family vacation, seriously. They got to travel. They got to go to the city. They got to go to the festival. And their life otherwise was totally as usual. But now it's time to get back. And as you become an adult, you soon understand that vacations are good when you go, but they're even better when you get back. Because the adult life waits for you. And Joseph has to get back to the shop. He's got to go back to work. The whole life is not a festival. And Mary's got to get back. She is a very, very hardworking woman. They call her a housewife and you wouldn't understand the way she works. Back in Mary's day, I mean, she'd have to get up every single morning and get water just to start the day. She'd have to go to the well to get water for the family for the whole day. She would have to make bread for the whole day. I mean, Mary's life is hard. She has children to take care of, children to teach. I'm telling you, their lives are hard. Adulting is hard. And Mary and Joseph have to get back to it because this is what you do. This is the routine. This is what life is. But this is where Jesus does something amazing. Jesus rebels against the ordinary life. He rebels. Jesus doesn't do what they usually did. Jesus does something totally different because Jesus is now being moved by a deeper current. Understand, Jesus isn't just falling into the routine of business as usual. He's not necessarily taking cues from the people around him as to what he's going to be and what he's going to do. Jesus rebels against the ordinary life. What if you did it? Just what if you did? What if you decided that you didn't necessarily have to keep up with the Kardashians? What if you decided that you didn't necessarily have to fall into the, the groove that somebody else dug? What if you just stopped and asked the Lord God who made you what his plan for your life is? Do you understand? Jesus rebels against your ordinary life. And at this point, people start freaking out. God typically doesn't call you into an ordinary life. He'll call you to something you never expected. 
Now, I'm not saying to do something weird or strange or, or bizarre. It's just maybe something that, honestly, if it weren't for following Jesus, you wouldn't have found that path. Incidentally, when Jesus begins to follow the path that the Father has for him, his parents don't understand. You see, God doesn't usually call you loud enough for the whole family to hear. He never does. So you're left trying to explain to people why it is that actually you're not going to major in medicine after all. You're going to go to Berlin and rescue women out of sex trafficking. That's Rebecca Morgan's story. You have to explain that because who does that? Who does that? We have this expectation that we will live this ordinary life. But Jesus does not in any way assume the expectations of the culture around him. He rebels against the ordinary life, and it's beautiful. So let's learn lessons about adulting from Jesus quickly. Let's look at just a couple. First off, I would say this. Don't mistake hashtag adulting for actual maturity. Now, I'm not just talking to young people now. I am talking to young people. But I'm telling you, there are lots of people who sort of do adult things all the time, but they've never grown up. Never reached maturity. Remember, the scripture says that Jesus grew in physical stature. That's the outward signs of maturity, of of adulting. And Jesus grew in all of those ways because we do. That's biological. You're going to grow up and you are going to get gray hair and yellow teeth. And you will get a little more, you know, weight around the middle. That's just part of it. You're going to grow up and and become an adult body. You're going to look like an adult. You just will. There's not enough Botox you know, in the, not enough, you know, liposucking in the world that can change the inevitable. You're going to grow in stature. You're going to become a physical, biological adult. And Jesus does that. But Jesus grows in two other ways. Don't miss that. He grows in wisdom. You ever hear people say things like, you know, I, I just really enjoy old people because they're so wise. Okay. I will agree with you. Some are. Some are. But if you just say, like, all old people are wise, you need to get out and meet some more old people. (laughs) There are some fools out there. I mean, just old fools. There are. And I'm not being disrespectful of old people. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm telling you that wisdom doesn't come automatically with age. You have to learn something from your life. And a whole lot of people never learn anything. I mean, some of you have been hashtag adulting now for years, but you're not learning anything. So you go from one relationship to the next. It's like you get married and that marriage fails and you get married again and that marriage is going to fail too. Do you want to know why? Because you don't learn anything. You never learn. You don't learn from past mistakes. You don't learn from other people's mistakes. You don't learn nothing. You just continue to live this life as usual. And in this life as usual, you ruin everything you touch. You don't learn anything. Wisdom is not automatic. It doesn't just come with years. It comes with learning things. Jesus grows in wisdom and in favor with God and people. That's relationships. Jesus grew in relationships. His relationship with God is relationship with people. Of all the things a lot of people never learn to do well, love is one thing a lot of people don't learn. You've got to learn how to love. You've got to grow in love. Your relationship with God, your relationship with people. Jesus grows in wisdom. 
favor with God and people. Don't mistake hashtag adulting for real maturity. They're not the same things. Verse 46. Three days later, they finally discovered Jesus in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I'd say this. Find some actual adults and learn from them. Find some actual adults and learn from them. Just, you know, you know, news story here. There aren't a lot of actual adults on YouTube. You're not going to Google your way through your whole life. You're going to have to find some actual adults. This is a lesson from Jesus. Remember, he's an ordinary kid. He's not an ordinary kid. He is God in the flesh. So God in the flesh walks in the temple. And where does he go? He goes to the place where he knows that people will be studying the word deep in the word. And that's where he finds his people. I think that's amazing. Remember, everybody else, they go to the temple for the festival. Then they go back home because that's, it's over. And you got to get back to business as usual. But Jesus doesn't go back to business as usual. He rebels against that now. He goes to the temple and he stays there with the other weird people who stay there. Understand, most people don't stay there. Most people, I mean, if the sermon lasts 35 minutes... That's a little too long. Some of you are having trouble staying with me now. God bless you. I'm feeling for you. I'm talking fast. So you don't really understand the people that when it's over think, I could stay here all day. I could spend the rest of my life here. There aren't a lot of people like that, but there are some. And Jesus found them and said, you're my people. This is where I want to be. I want to be with people who are going deep in the word because understand that's what Jesus is all he wanted to do. So he finds the other people, the old men that got no life other than to sit there and talk about the scriptures. And when Jesus found them, he found his people. Understand that? Did you get that? Here's the basic point I want to make here. You're not ready to go widely into the world until you've gone deeply into the word. Jesus is 12 years old. And at the age of 12, he loves the word. Remember, the amazing thing is he is the word. He is the word from the beginning. He is God's word in flesh. But at age of 12, he just wants to be where people are in the word deep. And that's where he is. And the whole world moves on. Mom and dad and all the cousins go back home. And Jesus is still there. He could stay there the rest of his life. Do you understand that? Now, some of you, you see the old people that really seem to love the Lord, and, and they love to worship, and they love the Word, and you're thinking, you know, I want to be an old person like that. Can I just be honest with you? It's not looking good for you turning into an old person like that. It's not looking good for you to become that person. Back in the Brown Jarbo days, Brown Jarbo was an amazing man of God who lived into his 90s, and he was a blessing to this congregation. He knew the Word of God. He loved the Word of God. And I have people say, you know, I hope when I'm his age, I'm going to be Brown Jarbo. Like I said, I've got bad news for you, but come like Brown Jarbo. See, the thing is, Brown Jarbo didn't just start loving the Word of God when he turned 90. You know, he didn't just start like reading the Bible after his kids were gone. He didn't have anything else to do. 
No, Brown Jarbo was loving the word of God in his teens as a teenager. And so by the time you spend your whole life deeply in the word of God, you become a deep kind of person. You become a person who doesn't just read the word of God, but you live the word of God and you speak the word of God and people can sense that authority of the word of God upon you. I'm telling you, you don't just wake up and become that. You're not going to buy some of that in cream form and rub it on you. There's no magic way to become this person that you think you want to be. You're not ready to go widely into the world until you've gone deeply into the word. And I am talking to all of you, but I really want to talk to young people now. But you understand the importance of this. God's word is everything you need to know. It's all the wisdom of God right there, and it's there for you. Read it. It doesn't work if you don't read it. It doesn't work that your parents read it and now you're out there on your own. I mean, I'm telling you, you've got to read it. And it doesn't just work if you just show up at church and the preacher preaches it to you. That may be good. Some Sundays it's not so good. But I'm telling you, you've got to be deeply in the word for yourself. You're not ready to go widely into the world until you've gone deeply into the word. Verse 49. Why did you even need to look? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? I'm, I must be in, it is necessary that I be in my father's house. Here's your homework. If you want to go deep into the word this week, take the gospel of Luke. That's the gospel we're reading, the gospel of Luke. Go through the gospel of Luke and underline, circle, highlight all of the times Jesus uses those words. He'll either say, I must or it is necessary that I, depending on how your translation will translate it, but through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will continue to utter, I think there are about 10 of these I must statements. And if you take these I must statements all the way to the cross, Jesus will be telling you what his purpose is. At the age of 12, Jesus already had this strong sense of divine obligation, divine imperative. There was this gravitational pull of God's will in his life, and Jesus surrendered to it. And that's what I would say to you. You have to surrender to that pull. I say gravitational pull because I think it is that. It's quiet. It's silent. It's never going to knock you over the head. You will always have the freedom to choose another path. And in some ways, that's the difficult part. You will always have the freedom to go another way. But if you listen to the Lord and if you keep your heart soft toward him, there will always be this pull. And that pull will continue to lead you to the path he has for you. And you need to surrender to that. At the age of 12, Jesus is already keenly aware of that. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. Jesus knows that at 12. You need to know that at whatever age you are. You need to know that, that there's this gravitational pull of of the God who made you back to the purpose for which he created you. Don't you understand? They're just simply things you're born to do. You must do them. You must. It's this gravitational pull. And Jesus says, why did you even need to look for me? Didn't you know? I'd be in my father's business. I'd be in my father's house. Understand God's business is the only thing worth giving your life to. Man, you want to know about adulting? Talk to some actual adults. Better yet, just look them in the face. Man, people just look unhappy, don't they? 
We weren't talking, we're not talking about your pew, you know, the pew behind you kind of thing. People are miserable. You look around the people at work, look them in the face. Man, it's kind of a secret none of us tell, but man, a lot of us, man, we're just, we hate our jobs. We hate work. We get up every day and we just count down the hours till it's over, and then we're counting down the days to the weekend, and then we're just counting down the weekends till we can retire and be done with this mess. What are you doing? How have you landed in this miserable place? Do you think God made you for this? I'm not saying God didn't create us to be farmers and factory workers and all sorts of things, but there is yet still this this calling voice, this purpose, which may be deeper than whatever it is you do with your day. And when you find that deeper purpose, suddenly it doesn't really matter what you do with your day at all. You, You have something deeper, a purpose that is way beyond the paycheck that your boss gives you. It's way beyond just pushing the papers or plowing the field or or standing there at the machine and watching the boxes drop. You understand it's a deeper purpose, and that gives your life meaning. And I'm telling you that God's business is the only thing worth giving your life to, and God's business is never just business as usual. It's something else for you. There's something deeper. Why did you even have to search, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? It is kind of a good question. Where did they think he'd be? Like if Jesus is your son and he goes missing, where do you look for him? I mean, just stop and think, where would you look for Jesus? Like, would you look, where do they think he'd be? Like a Chuck E. Cheese? I mean, where would you find Jesus? I mean, honestly, if Jesus is gone, like the mall? You'd be at the mall? Would he be in his bedroom playing Fortnite? I mean, where would you look for Jesus? And this is where Jesus looks, and it's not disrespectful. He just says, why did you even have to look? I mean, honestly, like more than three days, they couldn't find him. They've obviously looked everywhere. The temple was not the first place they went, and that's a puzzle to Jesus. Where else did you think I'd be? Why did you even have to look for me? Did you know where you'd find me? Okay, while Jesus here is saying, why do you even have to look? My point to you is you've got to look for him. In your life, you need to look for him. What he says to his parents is one thing, but what I'm saying to you is you need to look for Jesus. You need to find Jesus. You really, really do. But understand something about that. It's not that hard to find him. It's not like, like you're in the pool with Marco, you know, like you play Marco Polo and somebody wears a blindfold or closes their eyes. Everybody's like, Marco Polo, Marco Polo. And you're just like, you know, trying to find. Jesus isn't playing Marco Polo with you. It's not that you can't see and you can't hear. And he's like, Polo, you know, just to watch you go through your life searching. No, he intends to be found by you. And it's not that hard to find him. Now, I'm not saying that he will not surprise you in your life, and Jesus will show up in places you never expected to find him. That's for sure. You will spend your whole life discovering Jesus in in all the places of the world. That's for sure. But at the same time, there are some very predictable places where he will always be, and you can always find him there. So why don't you just start with, oh, I would say the word. Jesus is there where the teachers are deep into the word, and Jesus doesn't understand why in the world that's a surprise. You want to find Jesus? Go to the word. Go to the word. Go deep into the word. It's not just a dead book. This isn't like the book that you just bought for $500 at the Western bookstore for your calculus class. 
A dead book. It's dead when you bought it and dead when you sell it back for $25. You understand? <laughs> it's dead. It's a dead book. I'm not, nothing against your calculus, people. Aren't you throwing your calculators at me and stuff? No. It's just that this is not an ordinary book. It's not ordinary at all. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a living book. It's the living Word of God. And so when you begin to surrender yourself, I don't mean just read it like you read anything else, but you begin to listen for the speaking voice of God. Understand? There is a, a, a living speaking voice. And if this sounds crazy to you, if, if you're reading the Bible in any other way, you're reading it wrong. You don't just read it in such a way to master it, to understand the Bible facts. You read it looking for an opportunity to change your life, to, to change the path you're walking. You look at it like you look into a mirror to try to see your true face. That's what the book of James says. When you go deep into the Word, you begin to discover the speaking voice of Jesus, and He will speak to you, and He will command your life. Jesus went to the Father's house, and he felt at home there. I know when you go to college sometimes, man, it's weird to leave home. I mean, you know, on the one hand, to get out of that house at one point in your life was your whole goal. Like your parents had to, you know, like, you know, threaten to put bars on the windows because you'd sneak out, you know, to get out of that house. And, you know, you got to be home by 1130. It's like, what? You know, why'd I go back here, watch you people watch TV? Then there's a point at which you're out, and that home seems just so far away, you know? And the point is, you don't ever get to go back like you, like you had it when you were a kid. It's never home again like that. It's awkward when you're 30 and you come back in your boxers and lay on your parents' couch. It's, it's just weird. I do it, but it's weird. <laughs> because there's this deeper sense in which we begin to grow up and realize that we uh, don't have a home. And it turns out the home you're looking for is not your parents' address, and it's not uh, the, the new house you buy, as awesome as that is, or the apartment that you pay. It's none of that. It's, a, it's to be with the Father. It's not even about the temple at Jerusalem. It's for Jesus being with his Father. What I'm saying to you is no matter what else you learn to do as you grow, no matter whatever signs of maturity that you strive for. If you don't find Jesus in this life, and if you don't learn to find your home with him, you will never grow up. Pray with me. Lord God, you made us, and you are the only one that sees into the depths of us. You, you made us with a purpose, with a plan. And you didn't deliver us with a map in hand, Lord. Your, your expectation all along was not that we would be on our own to discover it, Lord, but that we would walk with you, that we would find ourselves at home with you, and that... And just taking the steps of everyday life with you, Lord, you would continue to guide us in the right path. You never intended 
that we have to break a sweat to find your will, Lord. Your intention was always that we would just walk with you, love you, listen and learn from you. I don't know why this is so hard for us. God, teach us to walk with you, to love you, to find our hearts at home with you. Teach us to love your word, to dive into it deeply, find our true lives, our true selves, the mirror of our true face in your word. God, teach us to rebel against the culture around us that tries to tell us who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to think. Oh, God, help us to close our eyes and shut our ears to the world around us, Lord, but simply to follow you, listen for your voice, and imitate the God in whose image we've been made. Jesus, you grew, you learned, and you obeyed. Lord, teach us to do the very same things, learning, obeying, and growing to full maturity in you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.